Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger is recovering from a shoulder injury sustained two weeks ago in the Longhorns' win over Baylor. What's his status entering a Big 12 clash against Oklahoma State this weekend? And Utah, after averaging just 16 points per game in its first three FBS contests, has now rattled off three 40-point performances in Pac-12 play. We'll dig a bit deeper into how the Utes have managed that turnaround. It's October 23rd. My name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. National audiences might have missed it amidst the madness of so many top-ranked teams falling during Week 7, but Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger exited Longhorn's 23-17 win over Baylor with an injury to his throwing shoulder after just 11 offensive plays in that one, and Shane Bouchelle carried the Longhorns the rest of the way. Here to give us an update on Ellinger's health heading out of the bye week is Chip Brown of Horns 24-7. Chip, what is known at this point about the severity of Ellinger's injury and the likelihood that he'll be available on Saturday against Oklahoma State? Well, it's considered a low-grade sprain of the AC joint in the throwing shoulder, uh, which for most positions probably, you know, is you're easier. It's easier to deal with, you know, by simply kind of strapping that that shoulder together, keeping the arm down. Uh, but for a quarterback who throws with that shoulder, it gets a little more complicated. So, you know, Ellinger has been throwing with a Nerf ball, and then He's graduating to throwing a real football um, tomorrow or Tuesday's padded practice. He's scheduled for between 25 and 50 throws in full pads. And uh, Tom Herman said a normal throwing day for Ellinger would be 75 to 80 throws. So they'll see where the shoulder is at that point. And Herman said that he'd probably have a better idea uh, if Ellinger is indeed a go for Oklahoma State this week around Thursday. Not that he will uh, come right out and say it, but he did, you know, offer up a lot of, um, you know, conversation points today about Ellinger and his ability to, you know, to come back from this injury. Right now, Tom Herman says Ellinger is quote, on schedule in his attempt to be back in time for this uh, Oklahoma State game Saturday night in Stillwater. So it sounds like maybe there's a little bit of a calculus between, okay, so Shane Bichelle comes in, 5.4 yards per pass attempt against Baylor. I mean, we we know, I think we know at this point what Shane Bichelle is, and it's less than what Sam Ellinger can bring to the table when 100% healthy. Is there, it sounds like maybe there's a calculus, though, of, you know, Ellinger can play, but maybe he can't make all of the throws, doesn't have full range of motion back, and at what point does that tip the scales to Bichelle? Do you, do you get the sense that those kind of calculations are going on, or is it all just about, you know, is is the, the risk of re-injury, I guess? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think that, you know, Bouchelle was not as sharp as I think a lot of people expected him to be. Um But even Tom Herman said, look, we haven't given him any snaps in a game all season. And then he gets thrown in and, you know, he was probably a little pumped up. He was sailing uh, some of his, you know, deep balls, which is normally his, his trademark. And so, you know,
know, they sort of fell back into the short and intermediate passing game that has brought Ellinger around since those two late-game interceptions in the season-opening loss to Maryland. And now Ellinger got a school record 168 pass attempts without an interception. And so, you know, everyone's now looking at Ellinger, whereas at the beginning of the season, it was, okay, bench this guy. He can't get over the hump. He's a late-game turnover machine. But to Tom Herman's credit, he's tailored the offense to really highlight what Ellinger does best, which is that short and intermediate passing game combined with his ability to run. And, and what we've seen is an offense that can control the clock by keep away like they did for three and a half quarters against Oklahoma. And, and now, you know, Ellinger is seen as, as the captain of the ship. I do think if Bouchelle, uh, now that he's aware that he could go into a game, I think he'll be sharper in his preparation. If something happens this week and Ellinger suffers a setback and they don't feel like he can go, I think Bouchelle will be uh, sharper uh, because he will have prepared and gone into the to the week knowing there was a very real possibility he could play. So I, I said from the beginning of the season they have two quarterbacks they can win with, and and I think Tom Herman believes that. And so um, you know, there's no question that part of Ellinger's game is running with the football, and you know that's how he suffered the injury. So it's. Um, you know, they got to be careful here because they're, they're in the driver's seat to play for the Big 12 title. And there's no question Tom Herman feels like Sam Ellinger is the guy who gives them the best chance to, to play for and win a Big 12 title. And if they have to play Bouchelle, I think Herman feels confident that, you know, he'll be ready to go against an Oklahoma State team that has given up a lot of big plays, is a little suspect in the back end of their defense lead the nation in sacks and Jordan Brailford's having a big year uh, at Oklahoma state with eight sacks so far, but the back end of that Oklahoma state defense is, is vulnerable. You mentioned Tom Herman tailoring this offense to Sam Ellinger's strengths. Do you think that with this injury now, we might see further modifications to kind of protect his shoulder, whether it's making sure he's got, you know, protection and more protection in the pocket or different throws that maybe don't put as much stress on the arm? Well, I think that they would probably run him less. Power, more of a power run game um, in terms of what they're running for Trey Watson and Keontae Ingram, um, which is what we've seen when Texas Tom Herman has tried to limit uh, Sam Ellinger's exposure in the run game. And, you know, the tricky part about a short and intermediate passing game as your bread and butter is the more you put on film, the more defenses uh, know how to take it away. And so that's the challenge for Tom Herman right now. If if he's got to play Sam Ellinger – at 80%, how does he 
you know, sort of limit the offense or reconstruct the offense. You would never want to say limit, but reconstruct the offense to, um, you know, to feature what Ellinger can do until he's 100%. Or does he just say, you know what, Bouchelle can run a bunch of stuff. We can we can use the fly sweep motion to to create the distraction in the running game that the you know the zone read or the quarterback run game might create, and we'll go from there. So those are the questions that Tom Herman got to answer this week, and I think uh, Herman has been reluctant to take credit for the play calling and and the the offense sort of taking off um, since Maryland game, but Tom Herman has done a really good job of, uh, of running this offense. You know, Tim Beck, the offensive coordinator, had an infection on his elbow that uh, was pretty serious. It became a bacterial infection, and he was in intensive care, missed the K-State game, and I think you know, since then, even before that, but since then, Herman has been the central figure uh, running the offense. And, you know, he won't admit it. He keeps saying it's a collaborative thing. But uh, Herman's, Herman's calling the plays, and the players are responding. Just five games left on Texas's regular season schedule. A uh, couple of them you would think would should be comfortable wins for the Longhorns. But are there any games that you look at and you say, boy, you really hope uh, Sam Ellinger is 100% or close to by that game? Well, I think there are, if I had to rank them in order of degree of difficulty, I would say Iowa State, even though that's a home game, I think Iowa State is playing at a high level. Um, Brock Purdy, the freshman dual threat quarterback, has really taken off, uh, been a huge surprise and their defense is better than people give it credit for under John Heacock. And so, to me, Iowa State is the most complete team um, that Texas will have to play. Uh, there's no question that playing at Texas Tech, especially if that game's at night, um, that presents its own set of uh, problems because it's such a hostile environment and you know, that one, um, you know, might not look as daunting as a uh, West Virginia who's been in the top ten or, or even an Iowa State who's throttled West Virginia. But um, Cliff Kingsbury's had success against Texas. He's won two of the last three, and including last year in a game where uh, Texas was leading by 10 in the fourth quarter, and Ellinger melted down with two uh, late-game interceptions that allowed Tech to win the game. So, um, you know, those two look like the most daunting, and then I'd say West Virginia. All right, Chip Brown writes for Horns 24-7. You can find him on Twitter at ChipBrown247. Thanks, Chip. Hey, thanks so much. The Utah Utes are looking like the best team in the Pac-12 South on the heels of a three-game winning streak that has included wins over Stanford and, most recently, USC. Joining us now to give us some insight into how Kyle Whittingham's team is getting it done is Dan Sorensen of UteZone.com. Okay, Dan, so I watched the Washington game, 
and I saw Utah look absolutely painful on offense. How is it that the same team that scored seven points against the Huskies now has scored 40 in three straight Pac-12 wins? Really the difference between what was going on early in the season, especially against Washington, and then what we've seen the last three weeks, especially against USC, is that the offense is executing. That, that Washington game, the offense was moving the football, but you know they would make mistakes in really critical situations. So third downs, uh, there would be a holding, or there would be a false start, or there would be a drop. And those types of things would kill drives before they got a chance to score. That Washington game in particular, I think they had three drives that ended with on turnover on downs, inside of the, the Washington 30-yard line. So it's not like they didn't have opportunities to put points on the board. They just couldn't execute when it counted the most. And what we've seen over the past really four weeks since the Washington State game is that uh, the offense has really cut down on a lot of those self-imposed mistakes. There are fewer turnovers. Uh, there are fewer penalties, especially on the offensive line. There are fewer drops. Drops were a huge issue in the first three games of the season. They were averaging uh, nearly six drops a game, and, and they've practically eliminated those. And so now that they're executing and Tyler Huntley is playing at a really high level, the, the, the offense is moving the football, but they're also finishing drives and putting points on the board. And that's been all the difference in the world. Utah is currently at three and two in the conference, uh, sitting at the top of the Pac-12 standings. Pac-12 South standings right now. I don't know what the what the tiebreaker. Well, they're tied with USC, so I guess they'd have that head-to-head tiebreaker and be outright in first right now. But it really, you know, everybody's got two losses except for Arizona State has three. Oh, and and Arizona also has three. Um, so really close fight here. Uh, I think Utah looking like they're playing the best football right now, but I don't know. How do you see Utah's chances of going ahead and winning this division? It's really a a three-team race in the Pac-12 South right now. You've got Utah, USC, and Colorado all sitting at three and two. Um, The Utes are clearly playing the best football, and they look like they're the most talented team, but they probably have the most difficult path to the Pac-12 South title uh, of any of the three. Colorado uh, you know, they still have to play Utah, but they get the Utes at home. They still have to play uh, Washington State, uh, which will be a challenge for them. So, you know, there, there's, you know, one or two more losses in the South, you know, for Colorado, assuming they're not able to pull those two games out. And both of those teams, you know, the opponent will be favored. USC, they've got Arizona State. Uh, they've got, um, oh dear, I forget off the top of my head, but USC is basically, they got UCLA, Arizona State. And they've really played the toughest slate already. And so, you know, they don't have any of the tough Pac-12 North teams that some of the other schools do. Utah, they've still got Arizona State. They've got UCLA this coming weekend. But Utah's got Oregon coming into Salt Lake City. And I think that's really going to be the game that determines who wins the Pac-12 South. If Utah beats Oregon assuming that they can beat Colorado on the road the following week, then they will own all of the tiebreakers uh, uh, or they will have won it outright at this point. Utah really has to win out if they're going to win it outright. Um, They're going to need some help otherwise. Uh, If if Utah can't beat Oregon, then they're going to need somebody to beat Colorado and they're going to need somebody to beat USC. And really, USC, yeah, they struggled against the youth this last week, but – they're so talented, and the teams that they're playing against are going to be heavily favored in all of the rest of the games going out. And so it's entirely possible that the Utes drop a game to Oregon, 
beat everybody in the Pac-12 South, but USC is still the Pac-12 South champions because they'll have one fewer loss in the conference because they didn't play Washington, they didn't play Stanford, and they didn't play Oregon. UCLA had a pretty brutal start to the season, but now have won two games in a row. Is there anything that they do that concerns you heading into that game on Friday? Well, you know, there's the old adage in football about the trap game, right? You know, so Utah is going down to L.A. They're playing on a Friday night, so it's a short week. They're playing immediately after a really emotional USC win, a big win. And so, you know, there's the fact that it's on the road on a short week after that big win. You know, there's definitely concern that, you know, Utah, they may not be mentally ready to go. It's a common thing that you see college football teams do. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to really – come in and be ready to play and be ready to expect a fight from UCLA because UCLA, they still control their own destiny in the Pac-12 South. If they went out, they could be the, the, the South champions as well. Now, they have not played particularly well, especially on defense, and their rushing defense in particular is is quite poor. And, you know, that's one of Utah's strengths is their ability to run the football. So, you know, that, that that's something to keep an eye on. And, and you know, I, I think that a lot of it, Certainly the Utah fans are not too particularly con- UCLA, but it is a game that if the Utes don't show up and if they let UCLA stick around, but if, if they let DTR, you know, go off and have a big game, assuming he's healthy, he's going to, you know, he's got, he's good enough that he's going to move the football and, 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 and give UCLA a chance. So, you know, it's the, in major P5 college football, you know, every team can win if, if you're not careful and if you don't show up and if you're not ready. And so that's the big concern for the Utes is they have to be there. They have to be mentally prepared. And it, But if they come come in and play Utah football, it's a game they should win. It's tough defense, running the football, being efficient, not turning the ball over. If they can do those things, it should be a, a pretty easy win for the Utes. All right. Dan Sorensen is publisher of UteZone.com. You can find him on Twitter at D Sorensen. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. The Morning Blitz is a daily podcast, so we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning breaking down the biggest college football stories of the day in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package. You can subscribe to The Morning Blitz on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.